This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into another edition of the Pipeline Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo of MLBPipeline.com. On this episode, we're going to rank rookies for long-term potential. We're also going to talk about Shoei Otani, the two-way star from Japan. And we're going to talk about hitters and pitchers in the minor leagues who have really seen their stock soar in 2017. And that's where we're going to start, because one of those hitters is Bo Bichette in the Toronto Blue Jays organization, and Bo is joining us now. Bo, thanks so much for taking a few minutes. Yeah, no problem, guys. Thank you for having me. All right, Bo, you hit 362 this season across two levels. That's kind of a my, uh, video game type number. Uh, my first question for you is, have you surprised yourself with the numbers you've been able to put up in a couple of years in the minor leagues here? Um, you know, I, I get that you know question asked a lot, but I would say uh, I'm not really surprised that I've I've done well. Um, I didn't necessarily think that you know chasing 400 was in the realm of possibility, you know, coming into pro ball. But you know, I'm just working hard and uh, you know trying to continue to do that. Bo, obviously you had a, a better sense of pro ball than, than most guys. I mean, your father played in the big leagues and was an all-star. Your brothers played in the minor leagues. But what about coming into the minor leagues, or if anything, has, uh, I guess, been different than you might have expected? Obviously you've played well on the field, but has, has it been everything you've expected, or has there been something that's, that, that maybe was different than you thought? No, I mean, um, for me, man, there's there's not a whole lot that can prepare you for pro ball. I mean, like you said, I was about as prepared as anybody could be. And, I mean, the last month of the season, the last month and a half, you know, I was, you know, just trying to get out of bed, you know, and and uh, get to the field and just kind of get through the day. I mean, the season's long. Um, it's really a grind mentally, you know, more than physically, honestly. And, uh, you know, there's nothing really that can prepare you for it. But, uh, you know, the first season is, you know, you know, a great time to learn. Bo, you know, not only were you dealing with that, you know, the, that first long full season, but you also got bumped up a level. Was that something that you had kind of put on your uh, wish list as a, as a as a goal for for 2017 to to earn that promotion? And what did you see the differences were between the Midwest League and the Florida State League? Um, yeah, no, that was definitely a goal of mine. Um, just you know, I kind of knew that the Blue Jays probably planned to keep me in the Midwest League all year. Um, and so my goal was to kind of try and force the hand, and, uh, you know, I did that. And, and the difference between the two levels for me was, I mean, there was a little bit more velocity in, in the Florida State League for sure. I mean, you'd, you know, you'd face 98 on a consistent basis, you know. But uh, the biggest part about the Florida State League is that you get to the field and it's 100 degrees and you got to take BP and you got to take grounders. And, and uh, you know, you're physically drained by the time the game starts and it just becomes a mind game by then. And, in, uh, in terms of how you approach the game and, and get through the, the heat. 
How much did the uh, the batting title? How, how much was that on your mind as the season progressed? I mean, obviously you, you you were chasing 400 for a while. You probably you heard <laughs> repeatedly that you were leading the minors in hitting. Was that something you were keeping an eye on down the stretch? Um, I I'm not gonna lie. I looked at it a couple times, but it wasn't really on my mind. Um, I'm kind of a you know a day to day person, and so for me it was just going to the field and get my work done and, and continue to play well, and, and that was really all I was worried about at the time. Well, thanks to Jim, I know that you're the first teenager to lead the minor leagues in batting average since 1963. I guess, do, do you know who did it before you? Because I don't. Um, no, I have no idea. <laughs> Um, I'm sure Jim knows the name. Jim, do you know the name? It, it was Gil Torres, who, who never played in the big leagues. So, uh, so, or, right, sorry, so we Gil won't talk Sanchez about him anymore. Um, uh... you know, <laughs> one of the things that's been so you know fun to watch, uh, not only with the year that you had, but in the Blue Jays system, is uh, you know you playing alongside uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. Uh, what what was that like for you, seeing like what he's able to do? Uh, having the MLB bloodlines like you like you had. I mean, how much did you guys be able to sort of feed off each other, not only in, you know, going through the process, but in, even in terms of your performance? Yeah, um, it was, you know, awesome experience to play with him my first year. I mean, uh, to have someone that, you know, I was doing really well, obviously, and, and to have him kind of right on my tail, like right behind me and everything was kind of, uh, you know, it was, it was good for me. I think it was good for him, too. We pushed each other, and... Um, I think we learned a lot, a lot from each other, also. So I mean, it was, it was really, really a cool experience to play with him all year. What does your off season look like? If I, if I'm not mistaken, you're not heading to instructional league, right? And, and, and I'm if not, not. What do you have? Uh, what do you have slated uh, for your off season? Oh man, uh, I'll be in the gym and I'll be at the beach. That's pretty much it. Um, <laughs> that sounds like a yeah, rough life there. So. Yeah, it sounds. Yeah, it, I'm excited for it. Uh, but I mean, I'll be I'll be getting in the cage and on the field probably here in a month and getting ready for 20, uh, 2018. All right, Bo. Well, rest up, have a good off season, and we look forward to seeing what you can do in twenty eighteen. Thanks for joining us. All right, guys. Thank you for having me again. Thanks, All Bo. Right. That was Bo Bichette, number two prospect in the Blue Jays organization, and he talked about their number one prospect in that interview as well, Vlad Guerrero Jr. And, and guys, I know his older brother's obviously in the minors, his dad, Dante Bichette Sr., but um, has he kind of blown away expectations between draft day and now with what he's done? Jonathan, you want to go first? Oh, without question. Um, now, come I would on, be Jonathan, the first you had to admit. 362 in his first full season, didn't you? Wasn't that in your record? <laughs> <laughs> the draft? I, 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 you know, he's a guy that I have to admit that I kind of uh, whiffed on because um, I do Florida for our draft coverage. And, you know, I, I had him on my radar, and I got, like, kind of widely different opinions. It, you know, everyone in the Bichette family kind of does things a little bit differently at the plate, and a lot of people didn't think it was going to work. His brother, you know, was struggling a little bit. And uh, it was a really mixed bag in terms of what people thought his potential was. And obviously the Blue Jays saw more. And uh, so far, at least, uh, they have been proven to be right. Is there reason to believe, Jim, that this is going to continue with what we've seen now? Or are there still uh, question marks, holes there with Bichette? 
No, I mean, I, I think he's – you definitely have to believe in Bo Bichette. And, I mean, I remember watching him at the Under Armour game, and, and, you know, he looked very good in batting practice. I, I want to say he won the home run derby. I can't remember that exactly. But um, he also had a really, really busy swing. He had a lot going on with the swing, and you heard from scouts, is that really going to work? But, I mean, the guy makes contact, you know, pretty easily. Um, you know, he, it was shorter, and it was a lower level. He hit 427 in his pro debut. I, I don't think there's any question this guy could hit. You know, he hit 41 doubles this year, so I think there's going to be more power. I mean, you know, the guy was only 19 this year. Um, you know, just a tremendous, tremendous year. Uh, you know, maybe there's some question as to whether he stays at shortstop in the long term. Um, I don't think that's really going to matter, you know, if he has to move to second or third base because the bat's still going to profile very, very well. I mean, they're just, you know, as Jonathan alluded to, there's some guys who do things differently. But just because it's different doesn't mean it won't work. And so far, it's worked very, very well for Bo Bichette. All right, so Bichette is on the list, uh, story out on uh, Pipeline right now, about hitting prospects who have increased their stock. And all of these names on the list have, have really risen high into the top 100 right now. But Bichette was not in the preseason top 100. Neither was Ronald Acuna of the Braves. He's on this list, along with uh, Juan Soto, Chance Sisko of the Orioles, Luis Urias of the Padres, Fernando Tatis Jr. We talked a lot about last week on this podcast. Ryan McMahon's there, Alex Verdugo, Reese Hoskins, Austin Hayes. A lot of these guys, uh, Jonathan, have made their way to the big leagues this season. Obviously, Bichette is in the lower levels. But um, when you look at this list of guys, they've all increased their stock. Has it, has it all been kind of similar reasons? Is there similar things that hitters do that, that cause them to rise up other than obviously mashing and putting up statistics? Right. I mean, I think it's twofold. I, mean, I think on the one side, you've got guys like Bichette and, and Tatis, who were really young, uh, were hitting full-season ball for the first time. Maybe they had in, you know, intriguing tools or they had a strong first summer, but you didn't know what they were going to do over the course of a full season, uh, and they you know, exceeded expectations. You know, Bichette got bumped up to the Florida State League. Uh, Tatis got double-jumped up to double-A and uh, you know, turned into 2020 season and perform there. Uh, some of the other guys, uh, you know, a guy like Reese Hoskins, who you know, we uh, annually had underrated, at least you know, based on what he's done so far, and uh, trust me, I've heard from every Phillies fan that that's the case, uh, is a guy who just did it at the upper levels. Uh, and continue to do it at the upper levels. You know, Hoskins is you know one of these. He was a college performer, uh, stationed at a time in the Philly system. Uh, Reading is a really good place to hit. Uh, so then he kept doing it in AAA, and it was uh, you know there's a certain sort of market correction that we have to make where we have to say, all right, well, uh, clearly uh, we were a bit off on where you know he was ranked within the organization. Even internally, I think the Phillies didn't have him. Uh, ranked. I mean, what he's doing in the big leagues now, no one had him ranked that highly. But, uh, you know, so his was a, one of those upper-level performances that made uh, a lot more people believers. How about this list overall, Jim? As always, guys that, that skyrocket up it, is there is there a guy that has surprised you with what he's been able to do in 2017 to move? Um, you know, I, I don't – I think all these guys were on our radar to different degrees. I mean, yeah. I guess if you want to say surprise, I'd have to go to Reese Hoskins just because he's been insane in the big leagues, homering about every six at-bats. Um, you know, he had the, the, you know, he had a pretty good year in 2015. 
and it was like, okay, you know, he's a fifth-round pick. You know, that happens. And then he had a really good year. We were second in the minors and in, in, I think, RBIs in 2016. And, you know, obviously a prospect, but, you know, okay, it happened in Reading. And a lot of guys have put up monster numbers in Reading. And, and he just kept going this year. So, uh, to me, I, I think he's the biggest surprise. Now, in terms of guys who've moved the most, I wouldn't necessarily have told you Austin Hayes was going to be in the big leagues this year after being drafted in 2016. But I do remember talking to Jonathan, I don't know if it was last offseason or whenever, I, I was surprised he lasted till the third round in 2016. I mean, that was one of Jonathan's guys because he does Florida. Um, and Austin played at, at Jacksonville. But, I mean, here was a guy who, who performed well in college, who had a lot of tools. Um, you know, those guys usually go pretty good in the draft. They don't usually last till the third round. So I, I thought he was kind of a, a sleeper if we were looking for guys in the third round who maybe should have gone higher. But, but that said, uh, I, I did not have him in the big leagues this quickly, and he, he's already hit a home run at that level. Before we move on to the pitchers, we want to take a moment to tell you about the Cut Forecast. The Cut Forecast is the podcast from the staff of MLB.com's Cut Force section, which focuses on the lighter side of baseball. If you've made it this far into our podcast, we really think you'll like that one as well. It'll make you laugh, and you might even learn something about baseball, dogs, or ballpark food. Last week's episode shouted out a few lovable players besides Bartolo Colon, who deserved their own promotional nights at the ballpark. Of course, Bartolo had big sexy night last, night, last week in Minnesota. They played matchmaker as well between Japanese superstar Shoei Atani and a few MLB clubs. If that sounds like something you're into, search Cut Forecast. That's C-U-T, the number four C-A-S-T, and Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts and click subscribe. All right, let's move on to the pitching prospects now who have really increased their stock. And, Jonathan, you wrote this story, and it's a lot of guys that we've talked a lot about. Um, kind of sum up this list for us. Well, I mean, a lot of young upside. You know, you talked about uh, you know guys who made it to the big leagues from the hitters list. Walker Bueller, uh, who was sort of at the top of this list and uh, made the the biggest leap uh, this year. Uh, you know, not only in terms of moving across levels and, and up to help out the Dodgers bullpen, but he wasn't on our top 100 when the season started, or or maybe he was really really low. I don't remember off the he top was of my head. The end, I think. Yeah, he was at the end, but now he, you know, he's in the top ten now. Um, so there are guys like that who were sort of lower on the radar. And then uh, and sort of like with the hitters, you have some guys who are you know, at the lower levels. The guy that really stands out for me is Sixto Sanchez, um, who was not ranked uh, at all uh, when, uh, when the season started. I'm not in the top 100, and he was a number seven on the Phillies' top 30. Now he's number two. He's one of the more exciting uh, right-handers, he started touching triple digits. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's uh, only he turned 19 in in late July and made it to the Florida State League. Um, so, uh, a guy with plus fastball, a chance to have you know uh, above average curveball, good changeup, and he throws a lot of strikes. So he's going to be sort of a lot of fun uh, to to watch uh, as a guy who's kind of. You know, I was aware of him. I did the Phillies list, uh, but I didn't think he was going to make that large of a leap uh, forward uh, based on, you know, what he had done so far in his age and his level. So the full list you have is Walker Bueller, Franklin Perez of the Tigers, Cal Quantrill with the Padres, uh, Sanchez of the Phillies, Jack Flaherty with the Cardinals, Forrest Whitley with the Astros, Mike Sirocco with Atlanta, and then Chance Adams with the Yankees. And one of the best things about these lists is that there's a chance on both lists. 
Chance Cisco and Chance Adams, who so hopefully someday in their careers will get to be a batter, or get to be on the the same team and be a battery, since Cisco's a catcher. And then uh, Tristan McKenzie and John Duplantier, who we had on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Jim, I. I mean, I don't want to ask you the same question about a guy being a surprise, but when you look at this list and you look at guys mature, what clicks with pitchers that allow them to have the big year to really skyrocket them up a list? Well, you know, I think it's a variety of things. I mean, there's some guys on here who there were some physical questions about in the 2016 draft. You know, Cal Quantrill didn't play that year at all before the Potters took him high. You mentioned Duplantier, and we, we talked with him about this. I mean, he's kind of like the Austin Hayes of, of the pitching list. Third-round pick in 2016 who, who shouldn't have lasted that long. He had first-round stuff. He showed it this year. I, I thought there was a chance he was probably going in the second round because he'd missed all the year before with a shoulder injury. And he went to the third. That wound up being a steal. And then, like Jonathan alluded to with the hitters, you know, you have guys like Tristan McKenzie who get a chance to play in full season ball for the first time. Forrest Whitley's another guy who, who jumped all the way up to double A. Um, you know, he mentioned Sixto Sanchez, too. You, know, you get to see them. And then I think you have guys who, you know, you mentioned Chance Adams. You know, he's a guy who I don't think he had to prove himself again, per se. But he kind of came out of nowhere. I don't know if he was on your list the year before, too, Jonathan, um, where he, he was a, a fifth-round pick in 2015 and had one of the best pitching seasons in the minors in 2016. And then he came back and did it again at the double-A AA and triple-A level. So I think with Chance Adams, it was just a case of, of showing that, that that first big pro season wasn't a fluke. Um, you know, right. I don't think with these guys that there's anybody that you'd say – like, the stuff was radically different. You know, some of the younger guys might have gotten better. You know, Bueller was another guy who was coming back from injury um, and had to prove himself a little bit, and, and his stuff has jumped since he had Tommy John. But, I mean, a lot of these guys kind of had, you know, kind of you know, showed this kind of stuff, flashed it at least in 2016, and then demonstrated it over a full season. All right, our next topic is one that uh, is bound to create plenty of conversation. I'm sure the story has already gotten plenty of comments on MLBPipeline.com. That's ranking rookies for long-term potential because it's the kind of thing that either makes fans really happy or really upset. And Jim, or they you... don't read the story entirely to realize what we're doing either. That's the third one. Wow. Part. Don't oh, bite oh. the hand that feeds you. <laughs> <laughs> so Jim put this story out, and obviously this is not a rookie of the year rankings, which is probably what some people uh, misconstrue it as, but you've ranked uh, 10 rookies, and I guess what they, the potential is for them to do throughout their career, not based on this year, but based on what they could do throughout their career. Number one is Andrew Benintendi, which I'm sure has thrilled Yankee fans because Aaron Judge is number five. Uh, Cody Bellinger, the Dodgers, two. Rafael Devers of the Red Sox, three. Yoan Mankata, four with the White Sox. Uh, then the bottom five is Ahmed Rosario, Ozzy Albies, Manuel Margot, Dansby Swanson, Ian Happ. Uh, Jim, why Benintendi at the top of the list? I just think he's the best all-around player on there, and and you you got it. You have to, I think, when you're doing this list, factor in age. And you know, you bring up Aaron Judge, who, who's had a monster season and could be MVP. Aaron Judge is three years older than Andrew Benintendi, and the fact that Andrew Benintendi has come in, and, and you know, he's not going to win the MVP award this year, but had you know a very good rookie season at age 22 speaks very well for his future. Um, but you know, I think you're looking at it. Benintendi is probably, in my mind the best hitter, best pure hitter on this list. Um, he's going to come close to a 2020 season um, this year. I think there's going to be more power in there as he gets more acclimated. That bat is just so quick. It just doesn't swing and miss a lot. Um, he can run. He can play quality defense. I still think he could be 
a good center fielder. It's just that Boston has a very good center fielder in Jackie Bradley Jr. But I think he's the best all-around player on this list and also one of the younger guys on this list as well. When you look at the list, one thing that surprised me, Jim, just because I know you wrote it, uh, is that Dansby Swanson's number nine. Uh, (laughs) uh, Obviously, you've always been a big fan of Dansby Swanson, but you have him nine behind even his teammate, Ozzie Albies, who you have in at seven. Jonathan, did that surprise you at all? I was I was I was shocked, <laughs> and I heard that Dansby was hurt. He was personally no taking my calls. Hurt, yes. Uh, he he will not. Uh, and I don't know if Jim is going to send his 400-page uh, Christmas card to Dansby this winter uh, as a result of this friction. But um, yeah, I, I was a little bit surprised at that. I mean, I, I do. I will say that uh, you know I've always been a big Ozzy Albies fan, and I think that. The belief in his ability to hit is what puts him high on 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 the list. I mean, he can he can do a lot of other things, but I I, I really think he's going to hit, and I think Swanson's going to be fine. But based on his rookie season, I think he needs to go and prove that he's going to hit uh, at the at the highest level. So uh, to me, that's you know where the the slight disparity come, comes. And personally, I would have Ahmed Rosario up higher. That's the one guy that if I were going to send a, a nasty tweet that would have been lost in the deluge of hate thrown at Jim Callis on Twitter after the story, I would have been like, Rosario, come on. Yeah, it, 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 the thing is, too, it's a tough list to, to put together because – uh, there are more. I actually went 30 deep. I didn't write a little note on every guy, but I went right. 30 deep. And there's going to be more than 30 good, 30 rookies who have good careers. Um, you, know, Jonathan, did hit my my reasoning on Albies versus Swanson. I do think Dan's will be fine the long run. I do feel better about Ozzy Albies' ability to hit, and he's a little faster. I actually think he can play shortstop. You know, at the same level, although they're not both going to play shortstop. And you know, I keep coming back to this. He's, he's three years younger than Dansby Swanson too. Um, with Rosario, it was tough. Um, you know, there's, you know, I'm sure depending on if you're a Mets or Yankees fan, the Mets fans probably thought I had him too low, and the Yankee half of New York uh, thought I had Aaron Judge too low. But for me, I don't know if I'm at Rosario, and I like him a lot. I think he's a Gold Glove shortstop, and I think he's going to hit too. I just didn't think he had the impact with the bat that the five guys ahead of him will have. Although again, if you want to hammer my age point that I keep hammering, he's 21 and Judge is 25, and Rosario has not looked out of place in the big leagues at all. So you could argue him higher. Um, he probably has a higher floor than Yohan Mankata, although I think Mankata has a higher ceiling. That's what makes it so interesting to do this this list. You know, I mean, the couple guys that I heard I was too low on were Reese Hoskins, who's obviously put up monster numbers. Uh, you know, nobody really complained about Matt Olson, who I snuck on the end of the list, and I think is homer just about every game since then. So I'd probably be getting more complaints about him if we were doing the list today. Um, you know, Trey Mancini's not on there. I got a lot of heat for that. And I, I thought one of the interesting things, and this goes back, to, we've talked about this in a couple of different contexts over the last year, but <laughs> Jonathan, I didn't have a pitcher in the top 17 on my list. There just wasn't, like, a, a, an obvious pitcher jump up over guys like, you know, Reese Hoskins and Clint Frazier and Dominic Smith and Derek Fisher, all whom I had, you know, ahead of any of the pitchers. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and I I think I agree with you. Based on what the sort of rookie crop of pitchers has done, none of them, I think, are surefire, uh, like, uh, well, they're going to spend 10 years in a rotation when the hitters that you have at the top are all guys that seem to be, at the very least, productive everyday big leaguers. 
Um, and the rest of them sort of all have question marks or maybe slightly limited ceilings. Um, so, uh, you know, it's interesting. Now, I'm sure you know, you'll look back at this list, uh, you know, as you do, and some of those pitchers will outperform the hitters ahead of them. That's just how it works. But I, I, there, w- there was not a, an arm that I saw that I thought, oh, he screams being higher on the list than you put him. All right, one more topic to tackle with you guys, and that is Shoei Otani, the pitcher who uh, reportedly will be posted in the offseason and will be headed over uh, to the United States to play in Major League Baseball, or maybe he starts in the minors. We'll see in 2018. And, Jonathan, you reached out to a lot of scouts to talk about Otani. I guess the thing that stands out, obviously, about him is the two-way player aspect, which we've talked a lot about at draft time with, with the Hunter Greens and, and Brendan McKay's of the world. Uh, but here comes a guy who has done it successfully at the professional level in Japan. Um, but from what you hear, do scout? I know he wants to do both, but do scouts like him more as a pitcher or a hitter? They're, they lean pitcher. Um, I would say that in terms of how they see him, it's similar to how domestic amateur scouts viewed Hunter Green, uh, where, you know, to a man, they all thought, yeah, he could be a very good hitter. I'm sure there were a couple of, you know, uh, scouting directors who'd be like, I'd love to have him play shortstop. But mo- almost all teams leaned towards his ceiling as a pitcher. And I think the same goes for Otani. Uh, you know, and that's where the comparison sort of ends because obviously Green is a high schooler far away from the big leagues, and Otani is going to come and and be asked to uh, go straight to the big leagues, uh, and uh, and he wants to do both, and he's good enough to do both, and uh, yeah, I talk to guys with decades of experience, uh, and they're giddy um, because you don't. It's not often where you can say I've never seen this before when you you know when you've been around the game as long as some of these guys have been and and that's what they see with Otani and the whole thing is is just fascinating uh you know with the two-way abilities and the and you know the decision to come out now and what that means for him financially I mean it's it's the I think the whole Otani show this off season and then going into next year when he gets here is going to be so much fun to watch unfold yeah he's going to absolutely dominate as far as the uh, the off season the hot stove that's for sure um, he's you mentioned the, the money and it is fascinating because the timing just isn't great as far as him getting paid he's going to get paid but with the new rules Jim um, he's not going to be able to do what Masahiro Tanaka did or, or other guys have done with that huge contract because of his age um, and because of the new rules with international spending, um, I guess the max bonus he'll probably be able to get is right around ten million, right? And then he's going to go and into. I'm wondering on that, Tim, if 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 anybody has ten million, because if he's part of this yeah. signing period, teams have already spent money this signing period too. Right. I, I don't True. know how many teams are sitting around that have traded for the most money you can trade for, because there's a limit to how much you can trade for. They haven't spent a dime of it. I know. I know Yankees fans have mentioned. Uh, or you know they 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 traded for extra money, but they've also spent too. So it it it, it doesn't even seem like money is going to be the major factor in his decision. Maybe the major factor is uh, who's going to want him to play both ways, right? That, I mean that's a big thing. And also I guess, Jim, the um, AL versus NL because if he's on an AL team, he can DH. Well, the thing is, he wants to play both ways. At least from everything I've read and 
you know, heard and talked to people about. So I don't think it's good. I mean, I think whoever signs him, you're going to have to. It's just like, like you know, Jonathan mentioned Hunter Green. You know, Hunter Green got some at-bats this summer, even though I think the Reds do look at him as a pitcher. He wants some at-bats, so he got some at-bats because, you know, they need to kind of promise that to get him to sign. And I think with Otani, anybody who tells him, no, you're only doing one, well, he's just going to cross him off the list. So I don't even think it's going to be who right. wants him to. He's going to get that opportunity. I thought one of the most interesting parts of of Jonathan's story, I mean, there's been a trillion words written about Otani, and, I mean, the guy's an unbelievable talent. But was he was talking to, I think, one of the scouting directors who was from a National League club said, hey, don't rule out the National League. It's obvious to say he could go to the AL and DH, but – you know, you could you could work out a routine where he plays outfield a couple times a week, and he pinch hits some, and he pitches regularly, and you get him 300 at bats. So um, it'll be very interesting. I mean, and Jonathan, you, I don't know if you ask guys this. There's been a lot of speculation, and I just don't think this would fly, where somebody's going to sign him and then have an under the table agreement to give right. him like a, a lengthy contract extension fairly early in his career. Now, now maybe that you could swing that after a, a, a full season has been completed, but like I have to think that MLB is, is not going to allow, you know, Otani, you know, May 1st to sign a $180 million seven-year deal with whatever team he signed with because the team says they want to lock him up. I, right. The only thing it, I can it, think it, of that you might be able to offer him would be, and I don't know if this would fly either. You know, you've seen with some of the the Japanese players who've come over, they've had deals that have have forbidden teams from offering them arbitration and making them a free agent earlier in their career. I don't, I don't know. Maybe you sign Otani and you let him. You know, part of the agreement is you let him become a free agent after three or four years. Yeah, I mean, there have been a lot of things that have been put out there, and the Major League Baseball is going to be watching very, very carefully because there is specific language in the CBA about, you know, additional agreements following international signings. So there, you know, obviously teams try to do things. Uh, there may be, you know, uh, you know, wink, wink, we'll take care of this. But if there is any wind of any kind of informal agreement to an extension, Major League Baseball will come down with, you know, some fairly heavy penalties. Now, Maybe a team will decide that, that it's worth those penalties. But I also think that um, considering it seems like Shohei Otani is not concerned with the money just by the, the, the decision to come now as opposed to two years from now, uh, I, I think he'll be confident that he's going to make the money. He's going to make, continue to make endorsement money in Japan, depending on what market he goes to here. Uh, he'll do the same. And then I think after a year, then he could sign, uh, you know, a – and Evan Longoria uh, or Matt Moore, that's all the Rays, you know, they sign all those guys to those extensions. I think that's possible. Now, I don't know, you know, whether it will be that kind of extension, which ended up being financially kind of reasonable uh, when all is said and done, especially for Longoria, uh, or it's going to be some huge deal like, all right, now we're going to give him what he would have gotten on, a, on an open market if he, if he had come two years from now. So it, it's going to be really interesting. There are a number of teams you know, where you could say maybe that's a fit, uh, you know, like the Dodgers, but because the Dodgers went over in their spending last year, they can only offer him $300,000. Can you imagine that this, a guy this talented would sign for $300,000? Uh, you know, when compared to what like a high schooler gets in the fifth round, you know, I mean, it's it's crazy. 
Yeah, it's insane, and I think the Cubs are on that list as well as teams that could only offer them that much. So uh, nationally teams, those are two that would really stand out. There are teams, I mean, you hear Rangers, Mariners. Uh, Jim Duquette, I know, has – He's said a few times to me that he thinks the Blue Jays are actually going to be a surprise team that, that really makes a push and, and is a factor in this. Um, so teams to watch, it's certainly going to be fun, and we like this kind of thing that, that keeps baseball exciting throughout the winter months, uh, and Shoei Otani is certainly going to do that. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Pipeline Podcast. For Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, I'm Tim McMaster. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.